0: Welcome to Shelf Logic, the official podcast of the Maricopa County Library District.
1: Hello, and welcome to Shelf Logic. My name is Caroline. And I'm Jen. And today we are going to be doing a Pride Month book discussion. And this is very special and exciting because when we first um, started doing virtual programming, Jen and I did a Pride Read Back in 2020. I know, that's
0: so wild. It seems like I can remember filming it just yesterday, and it was two years ago. I know,
1: it's so weird. And it was really fun. And so, of course, like, it's been two years, and Jen and I are still reading. Mm -hmm. um, And especially, like, I don't know about you, but I've been reading a lot of LGBT, um, like, fiction Mm -hmm. and nonfiction, but a lot more fiction lately. Um, So it was, it was like a natural fit to revisit this and also, like, plug the one from 2020. So I think... If we can manage it, we'll maybe try to put, like, a link in the description of this podcast, like, in the show notes um, of that program so that you can go back and watch our 2020 books and then pop in and listen to this and see what we picked this year.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's exciting. Okay. I just had a thought. It's exciting because I I feel like I've been reading so much fiction more so, too, than, like, nonfiction, for example. But I feel like there's been, like, an explosion of queer stories that are being written.
1: Yeah, and it makes me so happy. I'm really glad to see and I'm glad to see queer fiction that's covering like the entire range of like experiences and emotions because obviously like it's one thing to just have a character and be like, "Oh, and by the way, this character is also gay." Uh-huh. But there's they're doing a su- I don't know how to phrase it. They're doing a better job of having queer characters who, yes, they're queer and it's mentioned, but it's more about like how that impacts their life, or like how that's like per- like pushing their projection forward. Mm-hmm. So I really I'm glad that we're starting to focus more on
0: experience. Yeah,
1: mm-hmm. yeah. So I'm very excited to talk about our books.
0: Yeah. And I, I do want to start. Yeah, I want to start turn to you. So I don't know if you know this. No, you. I know that you know this. I'm just talking <laughs> to the to the listeners. Stonewall Book Awards. Every year they will. Um, Award certain titles, uh, with what's called the Stonewall book award for different categories. So there's like youth, um, young adult, adult. And this one is the Stonewall award for Mike and Morgan, Larry Romans awards. And that's for children's books. And it's been awarded to too bright to see by Kyle Lukoff. Um, it came out in 2021. So last year in April, um, and I'm just going to read the blurb really, it's really sweet. It's definitely, you know, um, like a juvenile book and it centers around the main character bug and them not even understanding how they don't feel comfortable yet in their identity and then kind of discovering that so in the wake of his uncle's death a transgender boy on the cusp of middle school grapples with grief friendship and identity bug lives in a haunted house but the ghosts of long ago never bothered him before this summer then uncle roderick who was gay passed away and now the house feels different with just bug and his mom left usually he would spend a month away at camp the only place he feels connected to the group but money is tight this year when a ghost begins following bug and his dreams turn into nightmares he searches for answers about who is haunting him and why as the ghostly mystery unfolds over the course of summer bug struggles bug (laughs) struggles with new tension with his best friend moira a girl whose interest in the do is reinventing themselves in middle school feels overwhelming and full of expectations he doesn't know how to meet. This coming of age and coming out story takes a needed departure from other stories about transgender youth by illuminating the perspective of a young person who does not initially know how to identify his discomfort. The narrative pushes against gendered stereotypes about interests like sports and makeup, challenging restricting ideas about gender and self-expression. It's a chilling, suspenseful ghost story and balances the intimate, re- the intimate, introspective narrative style. Most of the characters are white, including Buck, his family, and Moira. That last... That last you weren't <laughs> expecting that? <laughs> that last <laughs> line. It's so funny because it's not, like, a
1: summary of the book,
0: but I guess it's important to know. Like. No, the, well, this is this is um, Kirkus Reviews. Oh, okay. So that's why they said that. They I was like, why is like the publisher that? saying that? But yeah, that's good to why know because if you're say? looking for, you know... Intersectional queer stories. Mm-hmm. This is maybe not it. Not necessarily, <laughs> as, as yeah, much. right. Um, not necessarily the one. So yeah, because this the Kirkus Reviews kind of group it, and they say that it's fiction for like around eight to twelve years old, and it calls it haunting and healing, and they say it's a must read.
1: Wonderful. It sounds really good, and I really like you said. I like the um, the idea that like this is somebody who we usually meet characters once they've already figured out who they are and like transitioned comfortably and even if there is a bit of discomfort, it's not like full on like I don't know who I am, I don't know how to identify. Mm-hmm. So it's nice to see a story being told about that, like that period of not knowing who you are, not knowing how to identify.
0: Yeah, and it's it's really sweet. Like right up right off the bat in the story kind of, there was this part where it's so basically if you're if you're reading it throughout, you don't basically know that the main character is transgender yet. So there, um, he's at his uncle's funeral, and he's wearing, like, a dress that has been, like, that he's had for quite a while that kind of doesn't fit, and it feels mm-hmm. just very uncomfortable, and he describes himself as feeling like a doll, like, not even understanding how to, like, move or, like, hold your body in, like, this situation, and I just felt like, I don't know, I feel like it was so, I don't know, it, it was just such a good painting it. such a good picture for you. Cause like you can totally like identify with just feeling so uncomfortable mm-hmm. in a situation. You know what I mean? And to have it like tied through everything that everybody expects of you is just really, I don't know. The book is very sweet. <laughs> yeah. No, that sounds really good. That sounds like one I would definitely yeah. want to pick up.
1: Um, well I, my first one was a picture book. Um, and it's called, it's, I love this one because it's kind of general. It's not necessarily entirely about queer stories. If Um, it's very applicable for a lot of things. It's called Sometimes People March, um, and it's a picture book by Tessa Allen. And the description on Goodreads says, with a spare, inspiring text and gorgeous watercolor illustrations, this is a timeless and important book for activists of all ages. The hardcover picture book is perfect for sharing and gifting. Sometimes people march to resist injustice, to stand in solidarity, to inspire hope. Throughout American history, one thing remains true. No matter how or why people march, they are powerful because they march together. Um, and I, So I really loved this book and it's got a really high rating on Goodreads because it's got elements of like all of the reasons why people might march. So there was some um, pictures in the book that were depicting like climate change marches. There were pictures in the book that were depicting just like peace marches, march for our lives kinds of things. Um, but it also highlighted pride marches. Yeah. Um, and so I really loved that. And I thought that it was really sweet because it's a really nice way to explain to You know, like the description was saying, like young activists, like there are ways for you to get involved and for your voice to be heard, no matter your age, no matter what your activism is, like no matter what you're passionate about, there's somewhere for you to fit into that mold. So I thought that was really cool. And I think that it's important, even if you aren't using this book to frame it in like the LGBTQ light, Mm -hmm. um... That, you know, that we're inspiring young activists yeah. and encouraging them to, like, get out there and do things that they think are important and things that can help them feel empowered to speak out. Yeah. So I really
0: liked that. I thought that was That's cool. really cool. Yeah. I checked check that out. It was really cute. All right. And I think I'm going to skip one because I want to do my uh, teen book first. I know I've talked about it with you, and I've, I even talked about it last year in the Pride podcast. But we have some updates. It has won many awards since then it won the stonewall uh book award for 2021 i believe um additionally an update is that we're going to be doing um the adult fiction book group here at southeast regional library is going to be reading it for next month so i just want if you you know read along and want to do the book groups they're reading it it's called last night at the telegraph club by melinda low or no no 2022 stonewall award i think books that are published in 2021 are get the 2022, 2022 award. Okay, that makes
1: sense. Right, just like movies that came out in 2021 are being yeah. awarded with like a Grammy in 22 Grammy, Oscar. Oscar.
0: We know about that. I watch TV. <laughs> um, yeah, that's how it has to be. I believe. Okay, I think you're right. <clears throat> 17-year-old Lily can't remember exactly when the feeling took root, that desire to look, to move closer, to touch. Whenever it started growing, it definitely bloomed the moment she and Kathleen Miller walked under the flashing neon sign of a lesbian bar called the Telegraph Club. Suddenly, everything seemed possible. But America in 1954 is not a safe place for two girls to fall in love, especially not in Chinatown. Red scare paranoia threatens everyone, including Chinese-Americans like Lily. With deportation looming over her father, despite his hard-won citizenship, Lily and Kath risk everything to let their love see the light of day. So this has won the Stonewall Book Award. It also has, uh, it's the winner of the Asian Pacific American Award for Literature. Um, basically, at this point, I think there's like four words on the cover. It's like you oh, can wow. hardly see the right <laughs> side of the book anymore, but it's amazing. So um, it's from Melinda Lowe. There's, there's like a quote that I'm going to read, and it's kind of funny, but it's sweet. So this is Lily talking and she's talking to Kath, the girl from school that she's met that book. She was okay. Rewind. She's trying to show her this lesbian book that she found at the store. And she was very excited about it. So she was like, I got to show Kath. It was like very intriguing to her because she didn't know anything about it before that. So she's like that book, it was about two women and they fell in love with each other. And then Lily asked, then Lily asked the question that had taken root in her. That was even now unfurling its leaves and demanding to be shown in the sun. Have you ever heard of such a thing? And then, of course, Kath is, like, sweet, but Kath is surely on the inside. She's like, yeah, like, that's why we're oh, out. we're going to the Telegraph Pub later. And Aww. so it's just really sweet. Um, the setting is incredible. It's at Chinatown in the 50s. Um, Melinda, just, Melinda Lowe does such an incredible job of, like, painting the importance of, like, her family and, you know, her connections in the community. But um, also highlighting how exciting it is and, like, I don't know, not, not mysterious, but kind of... I don't know, difficult in navigating like mm-hmm. this new like world that's opening up to her and that she didn't even understand about herself it's like very very sweet um, I purchased that book and they're doing it next month for Southeast Regional bookends book discussion Woo-hoo! read
1: it it's oh, in the teen section awesome. um, this is great like, a great example of like intersectional queer fiction because Melinda Lowe is writing not only about the queer experience but about the Asian American experience and so it's nice to see I don't know if we should probably define intersectionality. Oh, (laughs) oh, no, that's okay. I think, I feel like if you read a lot of queer literature or a lot of literature with like people of color, you know kind of what that is, but but not everybody does. Um, Intersectionality just highlights the importance of recognizing that people come from multiple backgrounds. So um, you might be queer, but you might also be black. And those two experiences intersect in some ways, but are also different in some ways. So where like, someone who's queer and white and someone who's queer and black are both queer, but they experience things differently because race is also playing a part in their queerness mm-hmm. and in like the way they experience things. So it's just recognizing that like everyone's background kind of makes an impact on the way that they experience things, regardless of whether or not we all experience the same thing, if that makes sense.
0: Yes. No, yeah. that, that that's totally perfect. I think it's so... I don't. It's important to remember when you're thinking because so like say certain groups like exactly like you said say oh this this issue is impacting queer people you know what I mean and then you're like let's let's take a look at this and try to fix it but then you're not paying attention to how it's um, impacting like queer women of color you know Mm -hmm. what I mean and then that's why you have to be actually like literally paying attention to that fact
1: yeah all the different ways that things Mm -hmm. can impact people yeah oh I that is on my list that's been on my list for a while and I think. It's been a book talk book, if I remember right. I know
0: that it has. Yeah. I it's I definitely know, been popular. but I'm sure it must
1: be. <laughs> it's definitely been popular. I think when it won the Stonewall Book Award, it, it like re-upped its popularity. Mm-hmm. So that's definitely on my list. I have to get to that one very soon. I
0: love
1: it. I also have... I have two teen picks. And so now I have to decide which one to read first. I guess I'll go with the one I've read more recently. Um, oh, I loved this book so much. This is such a plug for all the things I love. I read this book for pop reading challenge um and i also think this one's been a book talk book um but it's called aristotle and dante discover the secrets of the universe by benjamin allier Sains. um and i'll read the description from goodreads and then talk a little bit about how much i loved it um dante can swim ari can't dante is articulate and self-assured ari has a hard time with words and suffers from self-doubt dante gets lost in poetry and art Ari gets lost in in thoughts of his older brother who is in prison. Dante is fair-skinned. Ari's features are much darker. It seems that a boy like Dante, with his open and unique perspective on life, would be the last person to break down the walls that Ari has built around himself. But against all odds, when Ari and Dante meet, they develop a special bond that will teach them the most important truths of their lives and help define the people they want to be but there are big hurdles in their way and only by believing in each other and the power of their friendship can Ari and Dante emerge stronger on the other side.
0: That seems super, super good. I have heard that it's very good.
1: Yeah, it's wonderful. And it's um, like the Telegraph Club. It's set in a different period. It's set in the eighties. Okay. Yeah, I think it's the eighties. So it's interesting and it's fun reading queer literature that takes place in a different time because we have, the opportunity to like reframe our way of thinking about queer literature and like where progress has grown and where progress mm-hmm. has come from. Um, so it's hinted at throughout the book, but Ari or Aristotle, um, he goes by Ari cause he thinks Aristotle is like so pretentious that his parents would have oh. named him after <laughs> Aristotle. Um, but Ari is questioning his sexuality throughout the book. So it's very hard for him to like, part of the reason why he has such a hard time believing that Dante would be his friend is because Dante is like so open and so expressive. And he's like, what are you doing? Like, why are you, why are you the way you are? Mm -hmm. And I think he even says that in the book at some point, like, why are you the way you are? And he's like, I don't know. This is just who I am. And it's really hard for Ari to, to like accept who he is. Um, it's a really good book because I feel like each chapter was like a little vignette into their friendship and into their lives. So it sometimes feels a little disjointed and can sometimes feel a little slow because each story is kind of touching on a different part of the summer that they spend together as friends. But it all comes together in the end and you're just like, oh, this was so good. And it's called "Discovers the Secrets of the Universe because throughout the book, Ari and Dante kind of joke about like, they they go stargazing at one point and they joke like, oh, there's so much out here. There's so much in the universe. Like one of my goals in life is to discover all of its secrets, like know everything that there is to know. And they mentioned that throughout the book. So it's a theme that ties together throughout and it's got a second book. So part of, part of the reason why I read this for the pop sugar reading challenge is because you had to read a dual duology. Um, so a book in two parts. And so I read this one and then the next one's coming or the next one's out. I'm waiting on it. I'm on hold and I'm, I'm I bet waiting. that holds this as long. I think I'm at like the 18-week mark, so I'm hopeful okay. that it'll happen soon. But um, I think the next one is called Aristotle and Dante Dive into the Waters of Life, something like that. I'm very excited for it to come in. I feel like I can't get too far away from this one because I won't exactly know what's going on at the next <laughs> one. But it was really good. I really liked it. And if you need a duology... There it is. There it is. Check
0: it out. I love it. Alright, my next one is called Getting Clean with Stevie Green and it is written by uh, Swan Huntley and it's a feel-good novel about one woman's messy journey from self-delusion to self-acceptance. So basically um, this is about a 37 year old woman named Stevie Green and this is from the publisher. She has had it She's confused about her sexuality and her purpose in life. When her mother asks her to return to her hometown of La Jolla to help her move into a new house, she is desperate enough to say yes. The move goes so well that Stevie decides to start her own decluttering business. She stops drinking. She hires her formerly estranged sister, Bonnie, to be her business partner. She rekindles a romance with her high school sweetheart, Brad. Things are better than ever, except for the complicated past that Stevie can't seem to outrun. Who was responsible for the high school scandal that caused her life to take a nose a nosedive 20 years earlier? Why is she so secretive about the circumstances of her father's death? Why, <laughs> why are her feelings for her ex-friend, Chris, so mystifying? If she's done drinking, then why can't she seem to declutter the mini wine bottles from her car? That, I don't oh, understand. Girl. Get
1: those out of your car.
0: A winsome, fast-paced read, getting, getting Clean with Stevie Green is about coming to terms with who you are, resolving the pain of your past, and accepting the truth of your life, in all its messy glory. Mm. So yeah, this one, and it's a new book. Um, it has just been released. It's still in our new section. Technically it's under, like, I know a lot of people have it tagged as LGBT shelf on Goodreads. Um, but it's, it's kind of like ambiguous. It's her figuring herself out basically. Um, and a lot of, a lot of the people, um, online were kind of talking about for as a strength or maybe as like, you know, a negative for the book. It's something that she has to get over the high school incident, like the scandal that happened, because she's held on to it, and I think it's really impacted her life. So basically, just kind of know that going into it, it's something that she has to unpack. I like it. Getting clean with Stevie Green. I also just like it doesn't
1: rhyme, but I like. Well, I guess it does. Clean yeah, green. yeah. Getting
0: clean with Stevie Green. I like the rhyming. I like clean it. and green. Clean and green.
1: Yeah. Nice. That one sounds really good. It's in general fiction. Nice. Oh yeah, that's something that if you are somebody who likes to read queer fiction, um, our cataloging recently broke apart the um, LGBT kind of tagging um, that we would normally shelve by so that it doesn't, and I love that we did this, it's not separating queer fiction from fiction. And it's like, if it's a romance book, it's a romance book. And like, we don't need to necessarily point out like, oh, by the way, it's LGBT. Yeah. It's like, it's... We're, we're embedding those things to prevent them from being, like, othered.
0: Yeah. Um, and I was really happy we did that. No, I am happy that we did that, too, because I think sometimes people – I don't know. Here's the thing. I think some people would be hesitant, even though that's, like, something they are you know they want to read. They might not want it to say, say that on the tag. Yeah. They might not feel comfortable with their family seeing them check out that book. Sure. My one con is that I want to be able to walk to a section of the library and know that any book I grab will be a queer story. I know. So all I like, oh got. But I can search in our catalog. It's fine. Um, it's better this way. Because it's going to get more yeah. circs, too. Because I think, you know, it was it was its own section. So if you're just browsing general fiction, and you might not be thinking about it, you might not have never have even gone over there. But now it's going to be in with everything else. So yeah. that's even better.
1: Yeah. I love that, too. Um, my next one is still a teen book. Um but I am such an advocate for YA and teen books not truly being just for teens. Mm-hmm. Um, this one is called History Is All You Left Me by Adam Silvera. And this is a Book Talk book. I know for certain that it is. And when it hit book Talk, the holds list skyrocketed. It was nuts. So this is the Goodreads um, description. When Griffin's first love and ex-boyfriend Theo dies in a drowning accident, his universe implodes. Even though Theo had moved to California for college and started seeing Jackson... Griffin never doubted Theo would come back to him when the time was right. But now the future he's been imagining for himself has gone far off course to make things worse. The only person who truly understands his heartbreak is Jackson, but no matter how much they open up to each other, Griffin's downward spiral continues. He's losing himself in his obsessive compulsive disorder and destructive choices. And the secrets that he's been keeping are tearing him apart. If Griffin is ever to rebuild his future, he must first confront his history. Every last heartbreaking piece in the puzzle of his life.
0: Oh, my gosh. I don't think I can Ugh. read that. I can't it's deal with lost, lost books. Did you know when I was, like, 10 years old and I was reading uh, the American Girl book, Samantha? Or, oh no, was it, it was Kirsten. Oh, no. I think in the first, like, few pages, her, like, friend dies or something. And I literally I threw the book on the ground and I said, Oh, I'm never reading this series again. I can't take it. So when you just it's read that, sad. I almost died. No, it's... I can't deal with that.
1: It really is. It's really sad. And I actually, like, pulled my Goodreads review to read because I think I encompassed very nicely how i felt about the book at the time and i think i read this during pride last year so it's been a little bit um but my my review said history is all you left me feels like two novels that gracefully intertwine in the end griffin is a complicated character living in the fallout of grief and grappling with how to feel again after the death of his first love he learns a lot about himself and how to feel and how he can hurt himself and others i love the way silvera dealt with grief and death as well as struggling with a mental illness that is difficult for others to understand or sympathize with past and present are woven together in a, to tell a full story. And I thought it was done very gracefully.
0: Caroline, you are so good at writing book reviews. Thank you. I'm a wordsmith. Oh my gosh. No, that's, <laughs> it gives me chills. Thank it makes you. me want to read it. So before I was like, I won't read that. And now I'm like, maybe I will.
1: Yeah. Well, and that's the thing is it's really, it's like a really compelling book because Griffin and Theo have broken up. Theo's gone to college So there's already some distance, but of course like you never forget the first person you were in love with. And so he always kind of holds out hope that when college is over or when Griffin, when Griffin graduates that he and Theo could be together again. And so when Theo dies, he's like, uh, that's not what was supposed to happen. Like this isn't part of the plan. And Griffin also really struggles with OCD. And a lot of his compulsions have to do with other people and like their proximity with him. So like, I can't remember if it was left or right in the book, but Griffin has to be on a specific side of a person. Uh-huh. I want to say it's left. And that was something that Theo was like, oh, totally. I get it. Like, yeah. I'll stand on your right. Then I will always be on your right. Don't worry about it. Yeah. And so when Theo dies and even when Theo goes away to college, Griffin has to like contend with the fact that his other friends don't really appreciate or understand or like try to work with his OCD. Yeah. And Theo was always just like, oh no, it makes sense to me.
0: Yeah. You you have a particular thing you need?
1: You need it? Like let's
0: let's make it work. We always want to be those people. Why why are people so what is the point of us existing if not to like have connections with people and like make our lives happier and like Theo
1: was so So, good. Theo was so good. And I mean but and also like Theo wasn't the best and Griffin isn't either. And I think that Silvera does a really nice job of perfectly encompassing like how human all the characters are. And like none of them like yeah, Theo is like seems like a great boyfriend. Very sweet, very understanding. But he uh but, yeah, but he also made mistakes and Griffin made That's mistakes true. and it's it was very nice to see characters that weren't just like Like, oh, Theo's the perfect boyfriend. Why would they have ever broken
0: up to begin with? That's what I would, I would be a terrible writer because I'd be like, this person is 100% good. It's just all good. (laughs) Yay.
1: So yeah, I really, really liked it. And I read it on a, I listened to it as an audiobook on a road trip. It was just like, Like, (laughs) it was so sad. It was so good. And I think it really nicely, like I said, it really nicely wove two stories together. Um, And I'm somebody who's very, very particular about like, multiple point of view books and just anything that has like two things that need to come together at the end. If it doesn't come together gracefully, I will notice and I will call it out. But this did it so nicely. It so nicely wove Griffin's mental health struggles in with like grief and loss and love. And
0: yeah, it's beautiful. I really loved it. it. I could
1: see why it's a book talk book. It's
0: beautiful. I support that. All right. I have one I have one more book. Let's see. Okay. <clears throat> this is a nonfiction title. It's, here's the thing. Here's the situation. It's not out yet. <laughs> but it's, um, actually, maybe it's out, but we, I don't have access to it yet because we're getting the physical book in. It's on order in our collection. The situation is that I've listened to a podcast about it. I've read about it. It's called The Women's House of Detention. Have you heard of such a thing? No. In Greenwich Village in New York. It is a prison for women and transmasculine people. But like back then they were like, you're a woman, you're going in here. So that's the situation. Okay. Oh, let me read you this blurb. This is from NPR. This is the blurb that's telling you to listen to, um, they have, they have, okay, there's like two podcasts on it. And I listened, I listened to the one from the advocate, but NPR says in New York city in the 20th century, tens of thousands of women and transmasculine people were incarcerated at the so-called House of D, it's the House of Detention. Author Hugh Ryan says that in many cases, the prisoners were charged with crimes related to their gender non-conforming behavior. Drunkenness, waywardism, disobedience to their parents, being out at night by themselves, wearing pants, accepting a date from a man, accepting a ride from a man. All these things could, could get you arrested if you were perceived as the wrong kind of woman. In uh, his new book, The Women's House of Detention, Ryan writes about the prison and about the role it played in the gay rights movement of the 60s, including the Stonewall uprising of 1969. So this building, it was like, I was looking at pictures of it. It was like a big art deco building, 500, I think it's 500 feet from where Stonewall happened. Maybe it's 500 yards. Let me see. 500 feet from Stonewall Inn. (laughs) So basically, like when, and they're talking about this, like when Stonewall was happening, the riots they were writing in the prison too. And they were just screaming. They were saying, gay rights, gay rights. Aww. And it's just like, it's, it's funny because in, in this um, podcast from The Advocate, oh, it's not The Advocate. The Advocate talks about, it's LGBTQ and A. is the okay. podcast that covers it with, with the author of the book. And they're kind of promoting it. Um, they He mentions, he's like, why did it's like somebody was like, if you're thinking about it in a historical context, it's like somebody was filming the Stonewall riots, right? And if they had panned, like, three inches over you would have seen the building which was the house of detention and it was interestingly so it's it was like almost like a communal uh, like the community place for queer people and especially queer women and transmasculine people so basically they have um, all these this data sets because this is where they were collecting essentially stories but very much information on these people who like went in and out so they have all this data of populations that typically didn't get their stories out. Do mm. you know what I mean? So yeah. they're having to piece it together for the book. Um, things like people would say like, oh, I went out to hang over by the pharmacy, by the house of detention because, to see who was coming in and out because like that's where it was. And in any other circumstance, like the law would have been like, oh, we're arresting you. Like you can't like gather here. But they were the ones gathering the people there because it was the prison. Like you can't, they're already sending them to prison. So it's yeah. just like a really interesting thing. Um, I'm really excited for the book
1: to come out. It's really fascinating though, because I feel like, and obviously like Stonewall is like the titular, like the Mm -hmm. most important, like one of the most important movements in the gay rights movement. And so you hear about Stonewall probably most often, I would say. So, and again, very important, like kicked off the gay rights movement was the start of pride. Like that's why pride exists. But like literally... I almost said a stone's throw. I know. stone's throw. Literally a stone's throw, <laughs> literally it literally stone's throw it away. Was. It's happening there too. And I think that's one of the wonderful things about books and one of the wonderful things about what we do. I never knew about that. I had I never heard of that before. So I'm so glad that somebody's writing about it because otherwise
0: it's not out there. Yeah. Oh, it sounds so good. Yeah. I'm really excited to read this. I already put it on hold. We're getting a couple copies in for the district. Yay. Um, but yeah. And it's by uh, Hugh Ryan. Coming out this summer. Yay! Oh my gosh,
1: that sounds really good. I'm probably gonna put that on hold too. Yes.
0: My last one
1: was also um, queer women, oh, and I loved it. It was so good. Um, it's called One Last Stop. This was another big book talk book, and I waited forever for it. Um, it's by Casey McQuiston, and you you might recognize her name because um, she also wrote Red, White, and Royal Blue. Okay. Um, so a lot of she writes a lot of queer fiction. Um, so I will read the, the Goodreads review or the Goodreads summary for cynical 23 year old August, moving to New York city is supposed to prove her right. that things like magic and cinematic love stories don't exist. And the only smart way to go through life is alone. She can't imagine how waiting tables at a 24 hour pancake diner and moving in with too many weird roommates could possibly change that. And there's certainly no chance of her subway commute being anything more than a daily trudge through boredom and electrical failures. But then this gorgeous girl on the train, Jane, dazzling, charming, mysterious, impossible Jane, Jane with her rough edges and swoopy hair and soft smile, showing up in a leather jacket to save August's day when she needed it most. August's subway crush becomes the best part of her day, but pretty soon she discovers there's one big problem. Jane doesn't just look like an old school punk rocker. She's literally displaced in time from the 1970s, and August is going to have to use everything she tried to leave in her past to help her. Maybe it's time to start believing in some things after all. Casey McQuiston's One Last Stop is a magical, sexy, big-hearted romance where the impossible becomes possible as August does everything in her power to save the girl lost in time.
0: Wait, she's actually lost in time? Literally lost in time.
1: So it's kind of a cool magical realism book on top of being a queer romance novel. Um, And I am not always super sold on magical realism because it's – it's doing something for me that I can't quite get my brain around. And that's like, well, what if real life were real life? There's no dragons, there's no fairies, there's no mystical creatures, <laughs> there's, but there's just some weird little <laughs> tiny thing. Yeah. And I just can't always get my head around it. So but I loved this one because it was it was very much in the vein of like Groundhog Day, um, oh, there was that movie that came out a couple of years ago with a horror movie where she kept waking up on her birthday with uh, well, that happy, russian doll no. that was cool.
0: russian doll so good and actually i was thinking about that when you were reading that yes
1: very much in the same vein as russian doll um oh my goodness what is that happy, happy death, death day. day it both occurred it occurred happy to both of us at the same day. time so yeah very much in the vein in that's of, magical realism exactly <laughs> exactly and so like when august meets jane they start to get to know each other and then August gets up the courage to ask Jane out on a date and Jane just like flat out rejects her. Why? And of course, as the reader too, you're like, oh, how dare she? She was flying yeah. with her. And then you learn that Jane has tried to get off the subway train many, many times. And every time she steps off the train, she ends up right back on the train. She has no idea how... It's almost like she blacks out. Like, almost like she passes out and then wakes up and she's still stuck on the train. And so they have to kind of unpack like, why... Why and how she's stuck on the train, as well as unpacking their personal, like, grief and things they've experienced in their lives to try and, like, put this picture together to figure out how Jane is stuck, why Jane is stuck, and how to get her unstuck. And if getting her unstuck sends her back to the 70s. I think it will. Or keeps her in the 2000s with August.
0: Her whole family's back there. I assume.
1: I don't know. Are they all in
0: different decades,
1: too? Oh, my gosh. Would be wild. (laughs) Um, so I, my Goodreads review, I mean, I guess if I'm writing good reviews, I'll just read this one too. Um, I said, it's been a while since the book has made me tear up, but one last stop had me in tears by the end. I absolutely love the story and the sort of fantastical element to it. I thought Jane and August were really well fleshed out characters and I rooted for them throughout the book, but I think there's some real magic in how well fleshed out each of the background, I put that in quotes, background characters was. Background in quotes, because I never felt like any character was lost to the wayside. I was so invested in the roommates and co coworkers and her family, just as much as I was invested in the main characters themselves. A phenomenal book and a really compelling romance. Wow.
0: Yes. That's really good, because I have to be honest with you. So often, if it's, a, if it's like a background quote character, I don't. Yeah, that's so easy to lose them yeah and so if that's the case that makes me really happy because they're really great characters and that
1: actually was a critique I had of a different queer book that I don't think I reviewed in our 2020 review because I think I read it in
0: 2021
1: um oh I wish you all the best I didn't read that it was very good. I liked it a lot. But there were a lot of really great background characters who I wish had just gotten a little more time. Yeah. Um, and I think there is going to be a sequel to that book. So I think they're going to spend time with the background characters a little bit more. But that was like... I got a, like, a little bit invested, invested enough in the background yeah. characters that I was like, come on, give me more of them. Like, if we're going to yeah. get this much, I want more. And One Last Stop did that so perfectly. So it was so good. Um, that one is steamy um it is definitely a romance book so if you're not super into that um i really haven't read a lot of like those kinds of romance books so i was like oh hello (laughs) um but if that's what you're into this is a super super good one um yeah i really liked it and i was really glad i read it uh and then i finally got off the holds list for it because i think i waited like three months (laughs) it was a tiktok book it was a tiktok book yeah so this one this one got really big on tiktok um, and Casey McQuiston's other book, um, Red, White, and Royal Blue, also got that, really big when yeah. it first came out. So I think that's just going to be a trend for Casey McQuiston's books. And I I understand why, because her writing is just impeccable. But, yeah, it was one of those where I was like, oh, I want to read that. And I put it on mm-hmm. hold, and I was like, oh, okay, I'll read that eventually. <laughs> right. But worth the read and worth the wait.
0: Love it. Yay. Yay.
1: Well, All right. I think – that's everything. That wraps it up. Yeah. We have um, plenty of recommendations if you ever need mm-hmm. them. Um, and we love to podcasts like this, especially for pride. Um, and just a, a very quick plug to say that while June is pride month, um, these are stories that we should be telling all the time. And don't save your queer literature for June. Read queer literature all the time yeah. and talk about it and talk about the importance of pride and the importance of, Talking about the LGBTQ plus community all the time. Let's not just save it for June. Yeah. Yay. Every day. Yes. All right. Well, this was, has been Caroline. This is Jen. And thank you so much for listening. Bye. Bye.
0: Thank you for listening to Shelf Logic. Make sure to hit subscribe and share this podcast with your friends. Follow us on social media where we are at MCLDAZ.